Well, Brian, we're back for one last time. This is PBC Podcast. We've made it through the year. We've survived all of Mr. Olinchik's ideas. We ignored plenty. But sure, yeah, Brian, it's been a hell of a ride. Yes, Sam. It is a very sad day, of course. It's our last podcast. Our last podcast is the host podcast. We'll have to pass on the reins next year. But then again, we might have to do another Ronan McAuliffe on it. We might be back. We might not. Who knows? <laughs> so, Sam, coming up on today's podcast, first of all, we have an interview with RT Pundit, Richie Sandler, and of course, Millwall and Ireland player. Of course. Um, and then we go over to a slightly different piece, the Pet Peeves. Some of our own podcasters here talking about their their little annoyances of daily life. Certainly, Sam. I sat down with them and had a good chat. Very passionate about their <laughs> pet peeves. Then we go on to Rory talking about all things strange and wonderful. It's a great piece. You may know some facts that you didn't know before. You may indeed. And from there, you go to one of the highlights of the episode. Lions captain, many, many times capped for Ireland, extremely successful player with Munster, Peter O'Mahony, and of course, former Prez boy, lest we forget. And we sat down with him, Brian, and we had a brilliant chat with him. We did. We discussed, obviously, his Prez days, the Irish Grand Slam, and it was overall a great interview. And then moving on, Sam... We've got a bit of a strange one. Ronan McCarthy, obviously, PBC podcaster, wrote a sketch. And I don't think I'll say any more. I think I'll leave the surprise for the sketch. So listen out for that. I think it can only speak for itself, really, Ryan. I, agree, I uh, don't think we can do anything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, yourself and I sat down with Connor and with special guest, Stuart, Stuart Gilbert, uh, to review all of TY, all the highlights, a few of the lowlights, everything in between. Yeah, it was definitely a great piece, so listen out to that. I think even specifically Terger is going to Fortier next year. It's a great piece for them to kind of get an idea of what's to come. Yeah, and yeah, definitely. There's a lot of tips and tricks definitely. in there for Fortier, so listen out to that. And then to finish the podcast, we've got an interview with retiring maths teacher John Scannell. It's a fantastic piece. Uh, Peter Burke and Kiromani interview him. And there may be a little surprise for you at the end. We might have a bit of music, Sam. We might indeed. And thirty-three years of stories, I'm sure I'm sure Mr. Scannell will have will have something to There's say. There's a few good ones, alright, Sam. Our first segment today. Very interesting interview with Richie Sadlier, well known for his punditry of the soccer on RT, obviously. But a very interesting man with regards psychology and youth mental health and everything in that field. And seeing as we were off uh, working very hard in Ballyhas. Very hard. Very hard, tough yeah. day, um, I must say. Bronan stepped in once again and did a brilliant interview with Richie. And just before we go to that interview, we'd like to thank Ron McAuliffe. He's leaving us now, going to college, for his everlasting service to PVC Podcasts. He really made his mark and his... We're going to miss him a good bit because he's always a man to do an yeah. interview for us. So best of luck to him in all his future endeavours and we'll go to the Richie Sandler interview now. Hello and welcome to uh, this week's big interview on the PPC podcast. We have Richard Sadler, um, former Irish international soccer player who has 103 appearances with Millwall, 34 goals, um, former Leicester Celtic youth club as well, and um, was heavily involved with St. Pat's Athletics. Now, you may know him from his punditry during Champions League football on RT. Richie, how are you? Welcome. How are you doing? Thanks very much for having me. Um, so look, today I just wanted to ask you about, um, firstly, your youth career with Leicester Celtic. How did that progress from there into professional football with Millwall? I 
remember being a, a little boy who had just one passion. I all I wanted to do was play football. And um, there wasn't nearly as much football on TV as there is now, but any football that there was on TV, I would watch it. Um, and that's pretty much all I talked about. Any money I had, I would spend it on football stuff or stuff for training. Um, and my matches were the biggest part of my week. If I didn't play well on a Sunday, my mood would be impacted all week until the next game. Um, and I played for my local team, Broadford Rovers, and then I made the move down the road to Leicester Celtic. And then when I was 15, I joined a club called Belvedere. And I spent two years there, and they're one of the bigger clubs in Dublin. Back then, a lot of the scouts would go to the games involving the bigger clubs in the latter stages of the National Cups so to be noticed by a scout you really needed to be involved in those games so I joined Belvedere for that reason um, and a Millwall scout saw me play a few times invited me over on trial and I went over an Easter of fifth year for my first trial at Millwall and that summer they offered me a two year deal but I hadn't done my leaving cert yet so this is the summer of fifth year and I remember thinking at the time on the one hand geez, this is great like this is everything I wanted I mean offered a professional contract but my manager at Belvedere said to me at the time he said well listen I think they'd sent something like 52, 55 players from Belvedere over on professional contracts to England and I think two of them had made professional careers so he said listen you know the numbers here you know the odds are against you why not wait a year do the leaving and then go over at least you'll have your leaving cert done so I did that and then went over after my leaving and played for Millwall then till I till I retired when I was 24 because of a hip injury. So it was really a passion and I just kept training. It wasn't a sacrifice. It wasn't hard. It was, you know, when you love doing something, yeah. like it's not hard to do that. And you actually, one gripe you have is you don't get to do it as much as you want. And like, um, as you said, you were offered a professional contract. Mm. Now, I mean, it's highly publicised at the moment, you know, the, the academy system that there is in England. I mean, people at 15, 16, 17 being dropped out of the academy mm. really you know, impacting their lives in huge ways. Did you find that as well then when you had your hip injury and had to retire? How did that impact you? To be honest, it was, and this might sound overly dramatic to someone who's never kicked the ball or doesn't care about football, but for me, it was like catastrophic. It's like the thing that you, it wasn't just my job. Obviously it was my job and it was my source of income, but it was, it was my whole purpose every bit of meaning in my life was wrapped up in my football um, and my career and I didn't really have any sense of who I was outside of the world of football from the age of 10 I was introduced as Richie the footballer if you spoke to me at any family event when I was a child it, you'd ask me about my football matches um, I was it was just this very one dimensional kind of person so when that was taken away at the age of 24 um like it was a huge heartache. Like I was crying all the time, and I was all sorts of my my, my head wasn't a nice place to be at all. Um, but I I had played for a team called Millwall, where they were very strong on pretending you're a big man and you can deal with all challenges. So I took that into my post football life. And uh, so whenever when anyone asked me how am I doing, I just pretended I was fine, and I wasn't. I was I was really suffering. So it was the hardest thing. It was it was the, it was the biggest of biggest losses at the time for me. Then, of course, like um, as you wrote as well in uh, your book as well, that you suffered from depression as well um, as as a result of this. How did you overcome this? Who did you work with? And what have you taken from that kind of recovery process into your post-football career? I ended up working with a psychotherapist and she was great. Now, I, I really had to overcome a lot of internal obstacles 
to even get to the point where I would sit in front of a therapist and be honest. Because I'd come from a very macho world of professional football where there was a specific way that we were all taught and, and, and shown how to behave. And it didn't involve sitting down and openly talking about your difficulties or your insecurities or your emotions with a psychotherapist. But I did that and it, and it really, really helped. Um, it was the first experience I had of just talking about what it was actually like being me as opposed to pretending what it was like to be me to everyone else. And it just helped. Um, and, and, and that the biggest thing I got from that whole period of my life, like it was really difficult because like a lot of people go through difficult things. Most of us at some point lose something that means a lot to us. And a lot of us have bad days. Pretty much everyone does. But there was a public element to, to my thing. So everyone would, everyone knew about it and everyone would ask me about it. So I had to learn how to talk about stuff I didn't want to talk about because everyone was asking me about it. So I kind of learned the benefits of talking and learned the shortcomings of pretending you're somebody you're not. And I kind of take that as much as I can into my life now. And you have, of course, taken that hugely um, on board in like your uh, post-football career. You are a psychotherapist, I am, a yeah. qualified psychotherapist. Um, so like, firstly, I want to ask, how did you get into that? And secondly, um, what are you doing today, really? I on, on the back of that really positive but really challenging experience of working with a therapist as a client when I was in my mid-twenties on the back of retiring from football, that kind of planted a seed in my head. Because remember at the time I was like lost. Like you might have some sense of where you like your career to go. You might have some idea of the things you want to experience. Back then, I had no idea. The one thing that was on my to-do list was now gone, football. So I remember thinking her job satisfaction must be pretty great because the difference between me when she first met me and me a few months later was, was significant. Um, but at the time I was like, oh, yeah, but I'm a bloke and I'm a former footballer and footballers, Millwall footballers certainly don't become therapists. Um, I didn't know of any footballer who'd become a psychotherapist. Um, so I kind of ignored that little curiosity. And then in my early 30s, I said, listen, I'm going to go for it. I went back to university um, and studied psychotherapy. And then I did a master's in it. And part of the master's is you have to sit down and actually be someone's therapist. And I realised that I don't just love learning about it and I didn't just get a lot from going to therapy. Like, I loved being a therapist. So that's what I do now. So I'm, I'm, I'm a psychotherapist now. And in the last few years, I shift the focus of my practice from working with adults to working predominantly with adolescents. I went back and did another master's in adolescent psychotherapy. So most of my clients now are teenagers or people in their young 20s, early 20s. And you said as well, like at Millwall, there was obviously this whole macho thing of, you know, we, we don't talk about our problems. Mm. We just play off whatever. I mean, that's ah, just water off our backs if there's anything wrong. Do you still think that that's prevalent? And how often do you see that? I mean, and, and not just kind of in necessarily a sporting aspect. I know there's obviously the stereotype that like rugby players, soccer players mm. um, are fairly macho, but do you see this across the board in youths today? I, I think you're right. I think when we think of things like fronting up and pretending we're all things to all people, we we, we tend to think, you know, lads particularly or lads who are in team sports or team sports that involve kind of any kind of confrontation or physical activity or physical kind of uh, challenges, you, you've got to front up and be be the big man. But it, it it's not just sports lads and it's not just lads. Like a lot of us of all ages, but young people in particular, and, and I see this all the time in my work, 
there's a kind of a conflict between how they really feel about themselves on the inside and how they present themselves to the world outside. And social media is an obvious example of this. We're all kind of putting out the best version of ourselves or the image of ourselves that we'd like the world to see. But it's the same in social interactions as well. So a lot of the, the, a lot of the work I do with, with, with people, regardless of the circumstances or the challenges they're going through, it, it is just to support them to talk openly and honestly about actually their lives because not a lot of us have the option or the wherewithal to do that with the people in our lives. And do you think it's becoming easier or harder for young men to talk about their problems? I mean, uh, like I know as a sixth year, there's things like on online now you might be aware of it. Like you have people like Dr. Jordan Peterson, you have Andrew Tate, you have guys like that. And I mean, I, I know there's people that are listening that'll say, Andrew Tate, oh my God, pure rubbish. I hear a lot like, about him these days, yeah. Yeah, but there's there's interesting, like, like there's a lot of kind of people that are first, second, third years, impressionable, mm. um, young enough that will listen to this and take it on board. Um, so like, do, do you think that that's a major... Problem. Well, I, I think, first of all, to understand, like, it's been a while since you were in first or second or third year, but everyone who's at that age is in early adolescence. And you, you, you just know that your behaviour during childhood isn't going to wash anymore. You need to learn a new way to behave. And everyone's learning on the job as well. So everyone at that age is looking for influences and guidance on how to behave. And a lot of lads get it from their friends, a lot of lads get it from their parents, but because the the world of, the, of, of social media and the internet, internet is so accessible, there's loads of online influences too. And I think rather than just dismiss Andrew Tate completely, I don't know enough about everything he's saying to, to give a, a kind of qualified view on him, but I could see the appeal of him to lads of that age. He's, he's very, very wealthy. He's a sporting career behind him, which is successful. Um, he's got a huge social media following uh, th- these are things that in a lot of homes they're valued as status or, or, or signs of status so um, I can understand the appeal of someone like him but I think I don't like he's going to combat his influence because that suggests he's got nothing worth hearing but to some of the messages he's giving young lads which are problematic to a lot of people the best way to address that is you kind of sit down with all the young people and just explore what's being said what they're taking on board and what kind of influences they're receiving because I think open dialogue and, and, and meaty discussions with young people is a far better approach than just kind of finger-wagging warnings or, or And cancelling people as well and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if that, does, that, does that do a lot. Do you know what I mean? Like I think getting in and talking about stuff, even the stuff that's really uncomfortable or controversial or, or hard to, to articulate, that's the stuff that's really useful to speak about. And um, something that I guess um, is something that's quite prevalent in your career that you've talked about is um, the topic of toxic masculinity as well. Um, now, I guess that word is thrown around a lot. Um, I, I wouldn't call it a buzzword, but I'd say that like it's hasn't really been defined as such. So could you give us an idea of what toxic masculinity is? Do you know what? Listening? And it's really interesting. It comes up in a lot of the chats like this that I have. I don't think I've ever used that term. Really? I, I, I don't think I've ever gone into a school and said, I'm here to talk about that. I've never done an interview and said, here's my views on that. But it is a term which follows any conversation to do with male behaviour or how you would support young lads or how you would approach topics of whether it's problematic or positive behaviour among young people. It is a kind of a buzzword, to, to use yeah. y- your word, but I think it's a reference to 
behaviour among lads which is particularly problematic or they're getting influences from various sources which tell them that to be a man is to behave this way. Yeah. And I'll go back to my stage as a young person. I took on all, on board all the influences of the Millwall people around me because like to be a man, you've got to be this way. So I think it's really understandable for young people in particular, young lads in particular, to look to older lads or their friends for guidance on how to behave. So really getting into discussions about what actually that should and could look like is really useful. Rather than trying to pick apart, well, what does what does that term mean or where does it come from? Yeah, no, I do think like it's it's an interesting topic to look at because I think the the rise of social media has certainly mm. contributed to it. I mean, you, you go onto TikTok or YouTube shorts or anything and it's just covered in that sort of thing. Is there anything, I mean, just for young lads listening, of course, this is the school podcast. There'll be a lot of uh, junior students listening and senior ones as well. Is there any advice that you kind of end up giving to a lot of um, youths that's similar enough that like, you know, if, if if you could sit down with a group of lads and say, right, this is one thing that I take away from the majority of my sessions with youths, I'd love you to know this. What would it be? I, I used to do a teach a module in a school for six weeks in mental fitness and mental health. And one of the parts of the, the workshops I used to do was to promote discussion. And... By the end, I used to get them all, I didn't. I, I stopped doing it now, but I used to get them all to do a 500 word reflection on themselves and their mental health and their mental fitness and what they learned. Almost every single essay I ever received, when people would talk about themselves, was that they would say, God, it was a great relief or it was brilliant to hear that it's not just me who struggles with this stuff as well. And I think with lads, we kind of have a tendency to think that if we have difficulties, that we're the only ones having them. Because if you're in a social world where we don't talk openly about the stuff that bother us, you can be left to thinking, I'm the only one struggling here. I'm the only one getting this wrong. So I think it's to open up open up the reality that it, it, it's not just you. And if there are stuff that is, is, is you're struggling with or you feel challenged by or questions that you're grappling with that are personal or difficult, speak to somebody about them. Moving back again to your soccer career and all of that. You're doing a lot of punditry work. Um, I've seen you on RTE as well with uh, the Champions League. Um, you might be aware of uh, our very own Quivian Kelleher, who yes. is uh, off to Brentford, isn't he? He's a, a very, very exciting prospect. And 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 sometimes when, you, when you're a pundit, you're trying to assess people from a distance. So you're not in the dressing room with them. You're not observing beha- uh, conversations between them and their family or their agents and you don't see them in training but from a distance and what I hear from other people I, I, I've never heard anyone say anything even mildly critical or negative about how he applies himself in training or how he lives his life and when you see him on the pitch I'm sure he's frustrated by the lack of first team action but hopefully that will change soon but in terms of ability and potential like he is one that we should we should allow ourselves to get fairly excited about yeah and I mean, as 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 Irish fans, like I mean, we have we've Ev- Evan Ferguson coming up the line as well, Quivine Kelleher. Um, I mean, when when we played the French there only a couple of months ago, we really we we did like I I was like. I I was working on that match that night, and and I honestly couldn't see beforehand a way in which we would beat them. Like three months earlier, they were in a World Cup final, but the end, the post-match discussions, we were talking about two incidents. The goal they scored was brought about by a sloppy pass from us. And the reason we didn't score was an unbelievable save by their goalkeeper. So it, it was it was a real it was a night of real positives, um, albeit that we lost. But I think 
it's now time that we can't really talk about near misses or heroic failures or frustrating defeats. We've got to start winning now as a team. Yeah. And I do think it's like it's it's fantastic to be able to get excited again as an Irish fan um, in many ways. There's just one thing I for young lads, right? I mean, I'm in sixth year at the moment, right? Um, I'll be sitting my leaving cert in three weeks' time Best now. Best of luck to you. Um, thank you very much. But like, I mean... For my year, a lot of us are going to go into college. A lot of us are going to experience failure. A lot of us are going to have our eyes set on something and it might just not work out for factors beyond our control. Um, What would you say to those lads when things go wrong, when, you know, just, as I said, factors outside of your control just take something away from you? I think it would be highly unlikely for, for anyone to be sitting here at your age and go, do you know what? Every plan I have in my life is going to come off. Everything I want to achieve, I will do. And I'll never experience a difficulty or a disappointment. So it's like almost at one point, be realistic enough to know that irrespective of what your life journey is, there's going to be days which will challenge you. There's a hell of a lot to be said from just persevering and stubbornly keeping going, regardless of how many knocks you get. But also in times of real difficulty, there's a real value in accessing some kind of support. Because I think that's a message that sometimes us lads don't either get told or we ignore when we are told it. Because we think that the role we have in our family or in our relationship or in our community is that we've got to achieve and deliver and protect and provide. But sometimes we need to dig out as well. So in those times when things don't go well, there's a lot to be said for just asking for help. Well, with that, I'd like to thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Really enjoyed it. Ladies and gentlemen listening, Richie Sadler. Thanks a lot. Brilliant interview there from Richie. Very solid advice. Thank you very much for coming into the studio and granting us that interview. Definitely, Ryan. And from there now, we're going to move to the pet peeves. You sat down with a few of the lads to knock out the daily annoyances. I did, I did. It was a very passionate piece, I would say, at least, Sam. Have you ever wondered what a 16-year-old's pet peeves are? What really gets under their skin? Today I'm joined by three PBC podcast members, Ian, John and Eric, and they're going to discuss their pet peeves. How are you lads? That's good. Good. We're good, how are you? That's good. Ian, I believe you're going to start and tell me what your pet peeves are. I absolutely hate it when you're in the cinema, you know, you spend 10 euro for the ticket, maybe some more for some food, and then the person next to you opens up their phone and this blinding white light digs itself into your skull. You know, I don't mind if it's maybe low brightness or it's on dark mode or something, but most of the time if people are doing it, it's a bright white light and it just completely takes you out of the experience and distracts you from the film. I agree with you, Ian. And you know what's always it is? It's WhatsApp. It's people yeah. <laughs> From first-hand experience, it's always people texting on WhatsApp. That is very annoying, especially because the cinemas aren't cheap these days. Like, you do pay a good bit of money to go watch the film on the big screen and you want your viewing experience to be good, obviously. Do you have any more for us? I well, I absolutely hate when you're going up into the self-service checkout, and then there's some some fool with a shopping trolley full of groceries, you know. And it's really annoying because usually the self-checkout is for a couple of items, maybe a basket. It can't take more maximum. than a couple of items. Yeah, yeah. And then they go up with a shopping trolley, and then the the staff don't do anything because you don't want to annoy them, you know. Yeah. And you want to have them as a customer. Definitely. It's just really frustrating. It no, holds can, the entire line. I can back. tell by the passion in your voice, Ian. That very no, I agree with you now. Even like. There's a reason they have the proper tills and the self-service is there for when you're buying a quick checkout. Like, and the self-service machine can't even take that many items. 
because it's a small enough like area to fit your food in, and you see people then trying to stack everything on top of each other, and it's it's mental. It's so annoying. I think that's all from you, Ian. Um, I have one more. Oh, he's one more. So I'm after cutting him off. Sorry. Uh, so I absolutely hate it. This is a personal pet peeve of when I do it. I hate when I'm late. You know, <laughs> because I've even if it's a minute or two, I just hate being late. It feels like I've I've failed. Like it's it's a goal to reach, and I've 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 failed reaching that goal. You know, like even if it's just literally even if it's a minute. It just really annoys me when I, I I'd late. be the same as you as well. I'd leave half an hour early to make sure I'd be on time for things. It's so much better being 20 minutes early than one minute late. Yeah, and I'll actually get given out to you by my friends for trying to, if we're going as a group, traveling as a group, I'll make sure they're all there and we'll be half an hour early waiting for the rest of the group to come. So I, I agree with you on that one now. John, I believe you're going to go on next and tell us what your pet peeves are. Uh, yeah, I will there. You know what really grinds my gears? What does, John? What grinds your gears? People who have 20 minute breaks between sets in the gym when you're waiting to use the equipment they're using. Anyone that's gone to the gym before has seen this or has experienced this and understand that it is just so time wasting. Yeah, especially with the bench. You're trying to get a bench and the fella says he's using it, but he's been using it for the last half an hour. Oh, God. You just oh, have to great. wait camping for it. Like, it's ridiculous. Oh, I agree with you there on that one. And one rowing one I've got here is. Not many people have experienced it, but anyone that's done rung before probably has. Shandon and Lee launches, washing out your washing boat on out the river. The yes. <laughs> no. Oh, God. Especially, Lee's I special. don't know if you remember the time we were in the double, John, and the Shandon launch came down, and we nearly capsized in the double, and we were a good bit out. I was yeah. shouting at you a lot that day. They're absolutely they? brutal. Yeah, I nearly gave out to you that day a good bit. Oh, yeah. And one last one I have there is very hyper people <laughs> no not your flow at all John I'd say uh, very chilled out guy I just kind of prefer quieter people myself he looked at you Ian there when he said that <laughs> no comment <laughs> swear Ian uh, that's all from you so John thanks very much for your pet peeves probably more specific ones than Ian's but I think the people who, are, who know will know and will definitely agree and yeah. Eric's going to tell us what his pet peeves are. Yeah, so my first one would be uh, lending something to someone and just never getting it back. Uh, for example, last Christmas exams, I remember giving a sixth-year uh, a pen and a calculator. I haven't seen those to this day. Well, yeah, but, but I, I feel like you should have known that, Eric. I, I, I probably should have known that, but I was kind of hoping for you know, a better outcome, to be honest. The good in people. Uh, yeah, so if you're hearing it, like I'd like to have my calculator back. <laughs> Um, then second one would definitely be like people on a bus now like you know without their headphones on and playing like TikTok videos or like music even like it's like you know there's other people on the bus it's not just you like if, if it was only three of us now and you'd be sitting at the front I don't care yeah. but like don't be sitting at the back when everyone's there have your headphones plugged out like if you don't have your headphones with you don't listen to something if you think that's bad I was on a train up to Dublin for three hours and the people in front of me were playing full stop and it was multiple phones playing different videos uh full volume on the way up yeah and then like friends show each other the videos then as well like and it's just ah it's it's a wrecker Eric Leach buy a pair of headphones that's what you say yeah exactly and then uh, my last one would be people driving up your bumper can't stand it like it's just you know if you're not driving the speed limit that's your own issue like but like let's say now it's an 80 kilometer zone and we're going 80, like, that's it. Like, you know, don't be driving up our bumper being like, ah, oh, you know, come on, hurry it on. Like, you know, overtake us in that case. Like, if you want yeah. to hurry up your day now, like, or for example, you know, um, even if we're driving up someone's bumper, like, it's not because, like, you know, 
we are doing it on purpose like but yeah it is kind of speed you up but like it's just it's so annoying like even for myself like now and my dad's driving like I can see like you know just like it's crazy like just look in the mirror and you've got a car behind you literally like you can't even see their headlights they're that close it's nowhere to go yeah yeah so well lads thanks very much for those pet peeves they were certainly passionate and very interesting um, thanks very much thanks Brent thank you Brent Maybe Richie could give these lads a bit of advice on how to overcome their pet peeves, Sam. They might need it, all right. Well, a passionate piece there. Uh, lots of things for society to work on, I'd say, Brian. Definitely. I had to get out of that room as quick as I can, Sam. I felt like it was going to turn on me very quickly. <laughs> it felt like it could, all right. And now, Sam, lots of various IQ coming up with everything weird and wonderful. A lot of strange facts that I did not know before sitting down and listening to this piece. So, with his final... Extravagant piece. Who else but Rory O'Donoghue? Did you know there were talks with Sesame Street about sending the puppeteer and the puppet of Big Bird in a space shuttle? Then the shuttle that At was supposed to uh, bring Big Bird up, which was holding a school teacher instead, exploded. So there's a timeline not too far from my own where Big Bird was one of the casualties on the Challenger explosion. Did you know there was a water slide in a place called Action Park? And it was later discovered that the people would experience up to 9 Gs of force and acceleration in the loop of it. That is more than a fighter jet, than Formula One, or even an intercontinental ballistic missile. People lost teeth and they hurt their backs, and so it was very quickly closed. It was discovered people were cutting themselves on the teeth that had fallen out that were embedded into the side of the water slide. Did you know the largest living organism on the planet Earth is a tree? But not just any tree. It's a tree called Pando. When you look upon Pando, it appears to be an entire forest of trees, but each of those so-called trees are more like a branch for one massive living organism under the ground. Because of this, they all shed their leaves and grow back at the exact same time. Did you know, at a Catholic church council in the third century, Saint Nicholas, yes, that Saint Nicholas, is said to have punched a bishop square in the nose who had been accused of heresy. In Victorian times, often a tooth was replaced with a tooth of a dead soldier as dentures. They were often um, plucked from battlefields such as Waterloo. Did you know C.S. Lewis, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, and J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of Lord of the Rings, were friends and in fact were in the same book club? Did you know tulips caused one of the first ever economic collapses in recent history? The economically prosperous Netherlands They loved tulips, and therefore the price rapidly inflated, and when the price began to decline, there came a massive economic collapse from tulips. Do you know, if a black bear attacks, you should stand your ground. If you see a brown or grizzly bear, then lie down and play dead. See a polar bear, pray to your chosen god, because you're likely about to see him. Did you know... Hitler was a vegetarian and made great strides in preventing cruelty to animals, such as banning cooking lobsters alive and banning hunting animals with dogs. 
He showed no such kindness to people who opposed him. Thank you for listening. This was everything strange, mad and interesting. Well, the last hurrah for Rory there, Brian. Another episode that will only widen our knowledge of everything Rory knows. And from here, we've got a big interview, don't we? We do, Sam. It was a very enjoyable interview. I was very starstruck, to be honest, doing this interview. It was a bit nerve-wracking, but we got through. When Mr. Olinchik brought him in out of the blue, it was mm. a little bit of a surprise, all right? But you know what? We just we used our presenting skills there, and we just we did the interview, didn't we? As always. And now next, Irish legend, monster icon, Lions captain, and of course, the most important, our very own prez boy, Peter Omani. So, on this episode, we're delighted to be joined by former press student, Lions captain, capped dozens of times for Ireland, rugby legend Peter O'Mahony. Thank you so much for coming back to talk to us. And uh, a less than obvious question to start. Peter, tell us about your love of gardening. <laughs> An easy one to start with. Um, no, yeah, look, I've, I've, I've always enjoyed it. Um, since I was a young fella, I've, been, um, I've always been interested in it. Um, my grandmother used to have a nice little garden up on Richmond Hill there in, uh, inside in the city and I used to spend a lot of time down west with my uncle he lived in Castletown Bear and uh, he used to kind of he used to have a few polytunnels and grow his own grub and that kind of stuff and a, a few animals and I, I used to love it down there um, so I, it kind of I suppose it kind of stemmed from that I've always like been outdoors and, and, and been active and um you know, it's been lucky because uh, you know I think it's important when you're when you're doing something at a high level to have a, to have a good outlet and and to have an area to to kind of relax and chill out and and that that certainly has fallen into that space for me in a, an area that I can kind of wind down in for a few hours and uh, clear the head. So it's it's kind of it's come it's come very useful certainly in the in the career side of things as well. Peter, obviously this year you've had great success with the Irish national rugby team. Having time to reflect on winning the Grand Slam, what's kind of your thoughts on it after now, kind of maybe having a month or two kind of to kind of reflect on it? And yeah, look, I think it's it's difficult in, 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 in sport in general. There's so much going on, it's, it's hard to kind of stop and, and have a think about it. Um, you know, obviously hugely proud, you know, it's, it's, it's something that we set out to do and... and this group has been on a journey together for a good while now with, with Andy and, and, and the, the staff he is there. And, you know, we sat down this year and, and certainly said that, that it was a goal of ours to go and do it. And and I think the most pleasing thing is 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 the reaction from, you know, kids and, and you know, people around the place, you know, the, the lift that it's given people. It's hard for us to stop and really think about it. But, you know, when you see people stopping and... Um, Congratulating you and, you and and telling you little stories about where they were when they were watching certain games, or you know, it's great to hear how kids, young kids, or all kids want to see teams winning, especially teams they follow. And yeah. um, you know, you, you look around now, and back in my day, everyone followed Man United. Now it's now it's Man City, and it's great to be able to, you know, I suppose show them the way and show them the light a bit with regard to. You know, been been number one in the world for for a country that's Definitely. you know a small population. You know, it's nice to 
you know, to give them, a, I suppose, a bit of bit of a pathway to follow, which is great. Yeah, and do you think this kind of the recent success of Ireland and also the game of rugby has kind of improved maybe younger levels of rugby, like grassroots kind of clubs and stuff like that? Yeah, I, I think so. I think that's it's probably it's probably a big discussion point at the moment. You know, I think. I think certainly clubs have struggled for numbers, um, you know, particularly Munster. And I think the, all, the whole island really, certainly after the recession, hit hit Munster very hard. You know, there was a lot of people went abroad and, and um, you know, looking for work and had to move. And, and, you know, lots of, certainly my age group, my age bracket and younger, a bit younger moved to Dublin. And, um, you know, the club game certainly has, has suffered from it. Yeah. But... I think it's 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 starting to to make its way back a little bit. I, think, I still think it needs help. Yeah. Um. You know, I think it's an important feeder to the professional game, but just for rugby in general, I think it's important to have you know strong modern leagues. You know, strong, strong community clubs. Um. Uh, you know, they're they're important for communities in general, particularly for young people, as I said. So, it's probably a topic for a, for a big discussion, but. Yeah. Um, I don't think you know. I don't think us, you know, winning the Grand Slam and and doing well in, in in the the rankings and that kind of thing will do it any harm. Uh, yeah. I think I think it'd be great to see kid, more kids start picking it up and and staying with it a bit longer. You know, definitely. Yeah. yeah, and as number one in the world reigning Grand Slam champions, it's it's led to the question a few times, I suppose. But it being a World Cup year, has that is that always kind of on the mind that? It has always for Ireland kind of been been the one that got away like that. The success in the Six Nations and at provincial level hasn't translated in the past to World Cup success. Has it been hard to kind of put that to the back of your mind? Um, look, I think I think with the group that we've had, it's been very much whatever's in front of us. We've we've got our teeth into, and, and you know, I'm not going to sit here and say. That we weren't been, you know, we weren't using it as as tools to improve ourselves for for the World Cup. You know, we we put ourselves in some high pressure situations, you know, to replicate, you know, what's coming down the line, and um, and and to use those experiences to uh, to our hopefully to our advantage when, when we do get there. So, yeah, certainly, you know, they've been disappointing. Certainly, the ones that I've been at. Um, and talking to guys who've who've played beforehand, but you know, I don't think that's going to be in our minds. You know, we'll have preseason now when we get to the end of June, and um, it'll be you know what I mean. All eyes forward. There won't be much looking back when it comes to that point. Of course, yeah. And um, with such success with the national team, and of course, Munster are progressing well this season now, doing well in the URC. A smaller level, I suppose, but a bigger level here. Uh, Prez did the double this year, junior and senior cups, first time in a very long time. Is that kind of do those storylines of of schools rugby get back to people at your level? Is it paid oh, yeah, attention abso- to? Absolutely. There's still plenty of the Prez Christians rivalry going on in our squad in Munster, and um, you know, even when we're in camp, we we'd be keeping an eye on on the schools rugby. Um, there'll be games on and, and that kind of thing and, and results and that kind of thing it, we're normally away for it so we don't get to go to them but um, it was great to see great to hear um, you know it's, it's not often as you said you come across a, you know a double winning year um, and I, you know it's credit to the, the guys the staff and the school uh, obviously the players for um, 
you know, the performances they're putting in. There's a lot of hard work goes into it. Mm. Um, I know that from first-hand experience, luckily. Um, so it's, uh, you know, I know at the end of the year you have trophies, but there's a lot of hard work has gone into that stuff. And it's, um, you know, it's a credit to lots and lots of people. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Peter, speaking of your first-hand experience with cup rugby and school rugby, would you mind telling us a small bit about your winning season in 2007? It was a great year. Um, you know, one of the teachers asked me downstairs, did I remember it? You know, you remember it like it was yesterday, certainly the celebrations you can remember uh, very well, which is um, not always the case given the circumstances. But um, I look, we, we had a great team, we had a great team. We had guys who were really ambitious in rugby and, and um, you know, I was. we were lucky there was a few of us Played played a couple of years ahead, and we we had a couple of experienced guys that year. Guys like Scott DC, you know, Barry, who had experience already. And then, you know, there was a good chunk of our year, which was fifth year that year, had played in that in that team, and um, it was a great team. You know, uh, some some serious rugby players ended up coming out of it. Obviously, guys like Zeebs, um, you know, Brian O'Hara. Uh, the, I could I could go on here now. Um, but you know what crack I'm I'm good at at the time really because you're in you're in the middle of it and and it's you feel like the pressure of the world is on you where where it shouldn't be really but it is and and that's never going to change but um you know it's it's hard to enjoy it it's it's like where I'm at at the minute it's hard to enjoy when you're in the middle of it but you know always have the fondest memories of it on that note there Peter thank you so much for joining us it's been a pleasure. It has, Peter. Thanks very much for coming on to the show. Thanks, lads. Thanks for having me. Thanks again for Peter for giving up his own time to come in and do the interview. It was very, very nice to see him back in the school. Obviously a legend, both here and nationwide. Worldwide, even, I'd say. Sure, there's few players who will rival him in the rugby world. Um, but from here, we'll go to... A piece I can't even describe, to be honest, no, Brian. I, I think we'll let it do its own talking, yeah, Sam. Yeah. I believe in podcasting. I signed up for this module because I wanted to make a difference, to have my voice heard. But I'm sorry to say, our budget has run short. That's why I come to you, Don Corleone. Please, we need your financial assistance, sir. I know how generous a man you are, and I will be in your eternal debt if you do this. So, you come to me on the day my daughter is to be married, asking me to sponsor your podcast. Well, uh, sir, I meant no disrespect. Uh, shh, stop your groveling. Tell me more about this podcast. Well, it's a TY-run podcast, and... A school? Pfft, I never respected the school system. I learned more on the streets than in any classroom. My apologies. Fredo, would you get that, please? Good evening, Mr. Corleone. My name is Detective Benoit Blanc. I'm investigating the murder of the casino owner, Dan Churro. I was wondering if I could ask you a few questions. Should I go... No, that's all right, John. This could be a good learning experience for you. Something to tell the other podcasters about. So, where were you on the night of the 25th? 
I was at home having dinner with my wife's children and stepson. Well, isn't that sweet? Isn't that sweet, John? You a big family man, Mr. Corleone? A man who doesn't spend time with his family can never be a real man. It's interesting you say all this, Mr. Corleone, because I have ten witnesses saying you were at one of Churro's casinos on that night. Well, isn't that interesting? May I see a list of the witnesses? Certainly. Ah, yes. I know these people. Clemenza? Yeah, boss? Take care of Detective Blanc, would you? Hey, what do you mean by that? Boy, put the gun down. Take it easy. Take it easy. Wait, no, please. Yeah! Oh, my God. Now, you see, if you ever come to my home on my childhood wedding day again and try to scam me all of my money, this will happen to you. Clemenza? Yeah, boss? Take care of the ten people on this list, would you? Sure thing, boss. Alfredo, do get that, would you? Hello, hello, hello. Good evening, Godfather. John, this is my dear godson, Elvis Presley. Your godson? Elvis, did you get the ring? I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. Here it is. Oh, how beautiful it is. And here's your tip. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. It was a real hassle getting this. Had to go all the way to Middle Earth. Middle Earth? Like Lord of the Rings? That's right. It's real? (laughs) Naturally. And how are you to the only people aware of this? You wouldn't believe the connections the Corleone family has. Where is it? My precious must have the precious. Oh my god, it's Gollum. He's real too. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. You must have followed me here, baby. You stole it from us, Mr. Presley. We hate those who keeps us from the precious. We must have it all. <laughs> Elvis, you animal. What have you done to my godson? Do you know who I am? I could have you. (laughs) My dear precious, at last, united with the precious. Uh, so can I just... Don't worry, whoever you are, you can go. I'm not going to hurt you. I only want my precious back. Oh, thank God. Thank you so much. I'll be out of here right away. Oh, why didn't you take this for the road? I won't be needing it anymore now that I have my precious. Oh my, this is the biggest ruby I've ever seen. A donation like this will surely save the podcast. Thank you so much. Hey, I don't suppose you'd be interested in an interview, would you? Don't push your luck. All right, right, right. Fair enough. Fair enough. I don't think I even have words for that piece. I think we'll just, I think it's best left where it is. I'd say just head head down and play one to be honest we'll Brian. Um, next up we have yourself and I sat down great chat with fantastic chat with Connor and with very very special guest Stuart, Stuart Gilbert, Gilbert for a little review of TY as we've reached the month of May and are approaching the end of our transition year here on the podcast we thought it would be a good idea to gather around and talk about some of the experiences and events that us as TY students have undertaken this year. So, first of all, we're joined by Stuart Gilbert, 
Welcome on, Stuart. And uh, give us a run through your highlights of transition year. Perfect. First, thank you very much for having me on the podcast, lads. So I did, for my half year module, I did rugby coaching with Mr. Bohan. For the other half year, I did video analysis with Lenny Brown and then CAD with uh, Mr. Lehan. So my favorite one was rugby coaching. So we did that for two hours a week on a Wednesday morning every week. Uh, we did an hour in the classroom, normally an hour on the green yard beside the school. And what I found really interesting was we were dealing with first years, that's who we were coaching. And they obviously have a very short attention span, like we all did. And so what I found hard personally was to always keep them interesting because playing rugby myself, you know, normally we do a drill and then we could happily just pass the ball for a few minutes. They can't. They always want to do something and always energetic. Like So we, uh, when we planned our sessions, we would have to do drill, drill, another drill, a game, another drill. Rapidly, there was no break in between or you lose them. And if you lose the group, then it's all yarn. There's no coming them back. Of course, yeah. And uh, Mr. Bohan is very helpful with that because he obviously being the senior rugby coach, he knows that we need to keep us active and keep the minds working. Um, what I personally liked was planning the drills beforehand too. So the hour in the classroom, we would write up the sessions. And um, it was because most of the people we coached didn't have actually play rugby before because this was at the start of the year. Okay. So they would have very poor sort of fundamental skills, passing, catching. Yeah, so course. you couldn't just go straight into the sessions with like a complex passing drill or something. So it was kind of back to square one. And it really brought, brought me back to like under eights when I was playing and, you know, learning all these skills. And what, what I found also interesting was that they got kind of annoyed because the passing and stuff looked so easy, like spinning the rugby ball, but it's actually not. And they were getting a bit frustrated. And I just kind of found it was good to be able to help them learn and then see how happy they got when they were able to learn. So that's, that sounds brilliant too. And um, that was your half year module, was it? Yeah. Oh yeah. And Mr. Bohan? Yeah, Mr. Bohan for the first one. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And um, and Connor, you you had different modules, didn't you? I did. I did the sports analysis as well as Stu, but then for the second half of the year, I did the OCDL module. Uh, it's an international computer driving license, meaning that um, we took tests for the last half of the year, so things like online essentials, computer essentials, PowerPoint skills, um, Microsoft Word skills. So... It's basically just something that you get a certificate for to prove that you know how to use a computer. But um, I found it quite interesting because these tests, you could study for them. Um, you had to get 75% uh, to pass every test. So there was a bit of work involved in it. Of course. But, yeah. Um, yeah, so if you complete four tests, you get a certificate at the end of it. So I think it was a great module. Uh, what, which teacher? Uh, it's Mr. O'Keefe. Oh, Mr. O'Keefe. Yeah. And um, Brian, what did you do again? So I did the barista course. Um, I obviously did the podcasting. I also did the um, video analysis course, as same as the lads. I found the barista course very interesting uh, as a coffee enthusiast myself, you know, and we did it down in Cafe de Peche with Humphrey Porter and Trinette as well. Oh, and yeah, yeah. they're obviously the owners of Cafe de Peche and they've just a great kind of vast experience of coffee almost and it's not you kind of take it for granted drinking your cup of coffee and they explain like how much goes into just a cup of coffee whereas the beans if the grind is off it's going to be wrong if you pour the shot wrong if the milk isn't properly done there's so much into it and um obviously we learned how to make the coffees we learned how to make cappuccinos we learned how to make flat whites and lattes which is 
also something you would take you would think it would be very easy to make a cappuccino and let me I've spilled a lot of milk over the past few weeks over the floor like um we also did kind of food in that so Humphrey kind of took the food classes and he showed us how to make to stuff like um sushi but uh, and and like poke bowls but Humphrey has a very kind of different outlook on food he likes adding twists and stuff to it so it was like in my sushi for example I put chicken into it and obviously sushi is raw fish like yeah of course so it was chicken chicken and rice pulled into the sushi roll the seaweed and it was it was lovely like and the poke bowl as well it was all flavor like he's a big man of flavor and obviously we have to do the test now next Wednesday to get our certificate in the barista course which is obviously unbelievable to have on a CV like that you're trained in a barista and um, yeah, so it's been very enjoyable uh, learning coffee as as a coffee drinker and someone who would have a cup of coffee every day. I will say I've come a bit of a coffee snob due to it, I think. <laughs> Definitely, I kind of turn my nose now at the old spoon of coffee in the morning, the course, instant yeah, coffee. So that's not been the guy's going to start. I'd say it's going to cost me a good bit now to get a few coffees now. He's living course, the yeah. Prez boy life. I'm living the Prez boy life. Yeah. Yeah. No Nescafe coffees no, anymore. I'll like. have to be, get the budget going now. Two shot cappuccinos like, all day now. Like. Um, and Sam, you did life saving, didn't you? I did indeed, yeah. Uh, so what so was that, that like? It was really good, actually. That was my that was my half year module. My other ones then I did filmmaking at the start of the year and podcasting, obviously. But yeah, life saving was a really interesting one, actually. It's um with... Mr. Hennessy up in the Mardike. Yeah. For the pool, obviously. It was a really interesting experience, actually, because it's kind of like, obviously, most people know how to swim by the time they're 16, 17. Yeah. And, like, I'm a very confident swimmer and I'm into water sports and everything. Like, But it was very interesting kind of to see kind of the safety side of it and maybe, like, in worst-case scenario, if everything goes wrong. Definitely, yeah. Like, what you have to do in that situation. And what kind of things would you be doing there on a weekly basis? Uh, there's all sorts of stuff. Like there's different tests. Like there's a thing called a, a 10 minute swim, which doesn't sound particularly difficult, but no. it's swimming for 10 minutes without touching the ground or the walls or anything. God, It's a lot harder than nah, it sounds. No, that doesn't sound very amazing. Um, like I would consider myself a pretty like fit person. That is a hard test. Yeah, it's a different breed. Uh, yeah, it really is. And, um, but then there were also, there were good fun bits as well though. Like there's things like rope rescues. You have to learn like how to throw out the ropes, like the right distance right. and accurately and everything in case you need to rescue someone, obviously. And would you feel confident enough that say you could rescue someone now? If I actually would feel pretty up? confident like would that. You? I, they wouldn't die like <laughs> like <laughs> they might not be in the best shape like Same but I feel like I keep, yeah like always but no I've, I'd be really confident like um, but there's other bits as well then like there's just learning kind of like that's called towing like where it's if someone's unconscious how you get them back in and everything like right. but um yeah, it was really interesting, actually. And it would be something. Would it be something you're interested for? Maybe the summer job or something. Yeah, it's training? good. It's a good kind of qualification for good the thing summer. To have it, right, yeah. yeah, exactly. That you get. Sorry, yeah, I forgot as well. We're doing tests actually at the moment right. that will get like certified if you pass the tests. Brilliant. Um, and that's a big like certification for different like. Yeah, you know, like the, I think the modules we did this year definitely with certifications were very big. Like, because obviously mm. all of us are going to try get summer jobs and stuff like that now and they're handy to have on the CV like of course yeah that they're the kind of things that like we're kind of starting to think about yeah about maybe. CVs and things and what looks good on a CV like so and that's kind of I think what Forter is about as well I know you'd agree with me Connor kind of the CVs and stuff like that and having a plan kind of and yeah of course of and that's really the point of it to kind of prepare you for life after school we did work experience of course 
But um, lads, I want to propose a question to you all. Um, we can all agree TY has been a great year, but what was your highlight of the year? You said we used to. Yeah, so my highlight of the year, see, when I went into TY, I wanted to try a bit of everything. So I signed up to the Prez Link. TY Awards yeah, night. You were kind of known as the everyman for I know, all this year. People, people Getting called out for different things like sat here and there. Didn't go to class for about three months there in the middle. Yeah, <laughs> the amount of physics class I've missed just, trust me, there's somewhere I'm going to tell you all about that. <laughs> Mr. Land doesn't know your name. <laughs> nah, doesn't even know I'm in his class. And then when you pulled out for a podcast, so happy <laughs> so, days. But, um, I know me and Sam were both in Preslink. Yeah, we were. And I just, to be honest, seeing some of and hearing about it, it was humbling in definitely the slightest way you could put it. Oh, because, it really was. you know, we, especially us going to a private school and paying whoever so much to go here a year. And then you see these kids that have to walk two hours for school in the morning and then they have to come home, walk another two hours and then work on a farm or uh, make dinner and all that. And it's really just, you know, we all, what, get a bus onto school yeah. or the mother or the father drops us in. And um, then they're there walking two hours at six o'clock and six a.m. in the morning. And it's, yeah, just really humbling, to be honest, on how yeah, lucky we are to have been the circumstances I'm, we have. I'm sure I remember there was one day there we were backpacking in Duns and like we were all getting bored and everything after two hours or something. And like Miss Galan turned around to us and said, "Like, oh, sure, they haven't even walked to school yet after this long." And we were all just like, oh. "Made us, made us all." Yeah, feel we were like, "Well, it's blow it. there, definitely." I know, but uh, <laughs> pack some more bags. <laughs> Go back to some more bags, last man. And then we met with uh, two brothers from Ghana. Oh yeah, we did, of course. Um, brother Godfrey and brother Laverius. <laughs> and um, I remember we both the first time we met them, they were both in like thick, heavy jackets, yeah. and, and we were there in our shirts. Yeah, it was like it was like, like sixteen degrees. Yeah, so no. you know we were loving yeah. life, roasting. Yeah, and then, and then I was I was chatting to brother Laverius. I was like, "What's with the jacket? Are you not warm?" And he goes. No, sure. Normally at night, it might be 35, 40 degrees. Yeah, I'm course, like, yeah. at night. <laughs> at night, what? It wouldn't yeah. get to 40 degrees if you added them all up for a week. <laughs> yeah, there. exactly. Um, but yeah, they told us a lot about um, where, the, where the money we fundraise is actually going. Yeah. And it's going to not even just the schools, but food as well. Because yeah. a lot of these kids wouldn't be able to, you know, have three meals a day. And you need... Um, proteins and carbs you know to help the mind yeah, work i think it's it's also good to see you know there'd be a lot of fundraising go on all the time but it's also nice to like see and hear firsthand where the money that you're fundraising as a school or as a year is going Do you know i think that was a nice experience for you to have yeah exactly sure it's it's all good mm. to fundraise five quid yeah. each for 600 students and then go well we're that, done yeah, yeah we're done but then it was kind of we actually show you where yeah. the money's going and you can tell. And I think it's, you kind of understand the importance more of collecting for charities and stuff, both of you. Yeah, like it's it's nice to see where the two euro every black and white day actually goes towards yeah. like, and like where our five euro for the Presley quiz, like for sure for the last three years, we've all just handed it up and said, yeah, whatever, like it's not a big deal. Like, but sure, it's actually, it's very interesting to deal, see yeah. that like it is a big deal to someone <laughs> like, so yeah, it's very good. Um, what about you, Brian? Highlights? Anything in particular? I must say, and I know it's going to be a bit cringy here on the podcast saying it's now, oh, yeah. but the podcast the is the highlight. It's definitely been my highlight this year. <laughs> I think I've been able, since the start of the year, to fully immerse myself in it. And I think I've learned a lot of skills, even 
obviously the interviews we've done with like have been unbelievable yeah. the people we've been able to speak to and even sound engineering is something I taught myself over the past like I was always kind of dipped in it but I've been kind of I feel like I understand I could comfortably go in somewhere and sound engineer something now even though it might take me a while Stuart's laughing at me here and yeah, it's sort of like laughing ten, after the so tech like 10 minutes to set up this morning we had a few technical difficulties but definitely the podcasting I also think even I was always a confident speaker, but I think my speaking has even come on this year where I'm now able to, even if I might not know the person, I'm able to conversate with them and I'm not yeah. worried about things. Um, obviously, the camaraderie of it is great where you're meeting every week and you're trying to come up with new ideas for the show yeah. and this and that. And yeah, I think the podcasting has definitely been a highlight for me. It's something I'm, I've been very passionate about this year and I think I'll miss it a lot next year. Definitely. Yeah, I'd actually have to agree with you. It's like, it's been a, a very interesting experience actually yeah. and like just like sure the people we've met like Michal Martin and sure, Manny last week Manny, right? that's, coming out soon yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> it's not out your point um, but no sure it's been it's been very interesting and just like you said like I've always considered myself like confident speaking and everything but it's been it's been interesting just it's a different type of speaking it kind is. of thinking on the spot and like having to have your wits about you a bit like I think it was nice as well to see the um the improvement from the first episode to the most recent, you can even in everyone, everyone on the podcast, yeah, like definitely. from the first day we came in to now people have ideas, people want to do things like yeah. people are volunteering. They're much more comfortable speaking. They kind of know what's going on. They're kind of clued in when they get in yeah, there and yeah. stuff like that. I think it's just been a great experience for everyone involved in it. Yeah. Everyone's come on leaps and bounds since Connor. the start of it. Yeah. The many scrapped projects that we've been through, but yeah. we, we ever see the albums. <laughs> No. <laughs> What's been your highlight, Connor? Obviously, you put the question to us. So. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to say the Barcelona trip that we went on. In oh, of April. course. Yeah. Forgot about that one. <laughs> it was a brilliant couple of days. Uh, Stuart was there with me, of course. Um, but yeah, we did loads. So we were staying in Salou, but we did city tours in Barcelona. We went on a tour of Montserrat. We saw Barcelona Stadium, the Camp Nou. There was just so much to it. We got to see so much of Spain. It was, it was just a brilliant trip. It was, it was class, to be fair. Yeah, I feel like everyone got a lot closer on the trip as well, you know, there was... was yeah, like... The six-hour bus journeys. <laughs> and even, the, like, they stuck 50 lads together, and obviously you have your friend groups, but um, there was some lads there that I haven't chatted to since, like, third year being in my first class. And um, to, the whole group did kind of gel together. Like, there was nights where we all went... Like there was a disco and there was all that jazz. <laughs> ah, there was there was lads like <laughs> we won't go into that, but like there was lads there that I haven't chatted to in ages, and I was there dancing with them, and it was just, it was gas. Like you'd do anything for an old dance when you shoot. Oh, I'd love like. an old dance. All right, um, so last we're nearly out of time now, boys. But just last thoughts, transition here in a few words, Brian. What are we saying? Um, I think great experience and introduction, maybe to. Not adulthood, I want to say, but getting closer to yeah, adulthood and of kind of real life almost. Mm. You've kind of, I think people have matured a lot this year. Yeah, matured actually. That's one of the words I'd say. Uh, Stuart? Um, if I just put it into a few words, it's what Mr. McMahon said to us at the start of the year. It could be the most boring year or the most <laughs> interesting. It just depends how you make it. You can sit down and do nothing or you could, like us, join all these Prez Lincoln groups and go on tours. So yeah. It is what you make it, and that's all I can say about it. It is indeed, it is actually. Uh, yeah, just, just make the most out of it and enjoy your year. That's all I can really say to people going into TY now. Well, it's, it's been a great year, lads. Lots of lots of events, lots of different groups, different activities. 
and downs. <laughs> Up and downs, definitely, Stu. <laughs> bit like life. Uh-huh. No, all right. Um, it's been a great conversation, lads. I've really enjoyed yeah, it's it. Been, yeah, it's, it's been a good, good one. one. Just uh, happy to be on the podcast. <laughs> thank you so much to Stuart for joining us. And of course, Brian and Connor, our own podcasters. It's been a great chat, lads. Thanks, William. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks you so much to Stuart and Connor for joining us and of course you Sam. It was it was a fantastic chat really. Um it's been a great year and it was very nice to look back on the year and as a whole just give all our opinions on it. Definitely, yeah. And um now to round out the year, round out our time as podcast hosts. It's nearly over. We have a very important piece. Uh Mr. John Scannell, teacher here for thirty three years, is retiring this year. He sat down with Peter Burke and Keen O'Mahony to discuss his time in Prez and his lasting memories. Hello, I'm Kian Amani. And I'm Peter Burke. And today we'll be joined by Mr. John Scannell, a veteran maths teacher here in Prez. He has been a teacher in this school for 33 years now and has seen thousands of boys through these halls, many current teachers included. And of course, Mr. Scannell has announced that he is retiring this year. Thanks for agreeing to be here today, sir, and welcome to the PBC podcast. So in the 30 years you've been here, sir, the changes have come thick and fast. From teachers wearing capes and chalk scraping along the blackboards to students walking through the halls with iPads instead of books and those capes being replaced by jeans and t-shirts. It's a very different place now. How has it been to see the school change so much? I suppose looking back, uh, there's been a lot of changes. I suppose the first thing I suppose I noticed, I suppose over the years, is the actual buildings itself has increased. The annex below, uh, which was built a couple of years ago, and the new building over here. And they're fabulous classrooms, fine big classrooms, which is great to see. Um, I suppose in the older, as I call it, the older part of the school, which was there, I think in 85, was built first day. The classrooms were, you know, quite tight, quite small. There wasn't much room, to be honest, in the classrooms. But I think the, the newer section now is a lot brighter and has is more space, spacious and has, you know, it's easier to teach and there even more access, I think. So I think that's a great positive, you know. I always found that with, with the school as well, the corridors are very narrow actually too narrow, I think, you know, for movement around. Also, I suppose the other change that I see as well would be just, I remember when I came first, which was 1990, uh, the number of students who cycled to school and the bike shed, which is in the sort of the fifth year yard, as you call it now, next to the canteen area, was full of bikes. And you'd see the students cycling in the morning and you'd have a certain number dropped off by car and some by bus. Like in the last number of years, it's all been basically very few bikes you see him coming back a little bit now but not to the same extent you know um so there are sort of the changes that I, I i would see over the years like you know but um there's a lot of constants there as well as i call them that are there today and going back when i started uh which is the respect between the the students and the staff which you know it, it's great to see it still there like you know and even with my own um son who graduated there just two days ago, um, you know, it was it was it was nice to see, like you know, and I I think looking back, like you know, it's it's just how fast it went for me, you know, definitely. But yeah, a lot of changes, like, but a lot of constant now with that respect that's there, and the sport as well is is the, another constant in the school as well, you know. For the past few years, you've only been teaching maths, but you started out as an honors Irish teacher at Leaving Cert level. Do you still have that love for the language, and do you miss teaching it? I do to a certain degree, I suppose. Um, I, I remember when I started, I had a fifth year group for Irish and I was teaching them PEG, uh, which they <laughs> didn't like. They found very boring. 
Um, I suppose now you have videos and you have PowerPoints. So it's easier, I think, to teach now than compared to come back when I was there. Like, you know, you just had the textbook and that was basically it. And you're, you're trying to make a book that has no connection with them interesting. So I found that difficult, you know, uh, trying to sort of connect the book to what they know. Um, I I suppose I still speak it, to be honest, and, you know, in the staff now with the Irish teachers, I suppose most days, like, and it's nice to keep that going. And what I like as well, looking at TG Cahar for the, the matches, you know, GA Bio, which I think is brilliant. Like, I enjoy listening to those matches, you know. Um, but I still... Um, enjoy it I don't miss teaching it because I think it's difficult to teach a language compared to maths I think there's a lot more involved with languages because you have the oral and you have the written and the listening so there's a lot of work involved in it so um, definitely I still have the grow for it yeah definitely but don't miss teaching it uh, just going off what you said there about technology changing um, with the videos, how has this impacted your teaching style? Uh, do you think OneNote and Teams and all the tools of modern learning have made your job a bit easier? Oh, definitely. I must say, no, if, if I had it maybe 10, 15 years ago, it would have made my job a lot easier. Um, I suppose during COVID, when we had online classes, um, it was a big challenge for me personally, I suppose. Um, like you're talking to an iPad and you know there's people out there, but there's no the physical thing obviously isn't there. Um, so for maths anyway, when I started using OneNote and it was over a phase basis, really, and I got used to it and I was able to understand it better. Um, but it was great then to use a pen and you can talk to your students and they can see the writing coming up on the screen. So you can proper, you'd have your question there and you're, you're going through your questions. So it definitely, you know, it helped me. And I still kept it in class. So it's great like for, you know, for, for notes and for storing stuff because um, the biggest thing with education is the amount of stuff you're getting every day. You know, when you think of it, all, you know, there could be handouts from different teachers, you have textbook, so you have so much stuff there and you're trying to cope with that. So at OneNote, you have it all in one little section and it's there sort of in, you know, in order and you can refer to it anytime you want, you have your apps. And so it, it is great, like, you know, it's a great thing to have, but it's use it properly, you know, not just to be looking at it, like just to be using it and, you know, doing some work on it as well. But definitely it helps me in the last couple of years, you know. Uh, so far, we spoke a lot about the changes during your time in the school, the technology, uh, you know, cars being used more rather than bikes. And is there anything from 30 years ago you wish could be brought back to the modern press? Um, I suppose thinking back, um, as I said before, like the, the, the tradition is still there, like with the respect and, and the sports. Um I suppose one thing I noticed is that um, the pace now compared to when I started um, is a lot quicker. I suppose pace of life, you know, has increased. Like we're all very, very busy, like, you know. And I suppose school is definitely busier now than when I started. You know, there's so many things happening. I'd be just, when I look at the, the notices for the week, I'm just amazed of how much stuff is going on, you know, matches, tours, um which is great to see, like, you know, but it's just the, the, the pace now has increased, like, you know, that's the main difference I see, like, you know. So in recent years, especially the material on the junior cert and leaving cert has changed a lot. Do you think the changes have made the subject easier to teach or have they just, are they unnecessary? Um, I think with, with maths anyway, project maths, which came in, you know, good few years ago now at this stage, 
Um, it took a while to get used to, to be honest. I still think the course is too long for maths at junior cycle and senior cycle. That's the main thing I think they need to change. Um, I suppose you're, you're, you know, it doesn't give it time to sort of, um, you know, spend more time at a certain section of the course. You're, you're, you're sort of conscious. I need to be in a certain place, at, you know, in May or in April or March, whenever I have to have this done. So it's sort of rushed. I think. I think if they shorten the course, give you a bit more breathing space, and you know, I think projects would be great. I know, I know you have CBAs. But I think there's um, pressure with those as well. There's a, there's a time pressure there. Um, and I think there's, I think for maths now, you have two CBAs. I think one is enough, you know, because they have, students have so many CBAs now to do in all subjects. Um, so I just think the length of the course and definitely they should bring in choice. Now the choice has come in with the senior cycle there in the last few years, which is great. And you can see the difference, you know, it takes the pressure off students and teachers as well. So if they could shorten the course a little bit even and keep keep the um the choice great, like you know. Moving on a little bit from your uh, subjects, we've heard about your time as a soccer coach here in the school. Do any players or teams stand out as the best that you had a chance to coach? Well I say definitely. I think Alan Bennett would be a standout player and he's come to school many times, I suppose. He's been very good. I remember him playing a match against Cove and I think he was about 14 or 15 at that stage. I think at that, he only started soccer actually quite late, Alan, you know. Uh, so his first years of soccer were with Prez. And you could see in that match, you could, I could see straight away like he had great ability, natural ability. And he was a born leader as well. And you could see that then as he developed and joined Cork City and you know, all the cups that he won over the years and he went to England then and was did very well over there as well. So he'd be the standout player definitely, like, you know. Uh, so COVID has had a huge impact on the academic and the non academic aspects of the school as well. As life in the school is slowly returning to normal, do you think there's some things that will never be the same and is it a good thing? With COVID I suppose like there was sort of we all came to a full stop, you know? And I suppose it gave us time to reflect I think coming back to school then, it took a while to, and I, the one thing that um, I remember coming back even was the the mask wearing, you know, and it I, I found as well that um, the communication was very difficult. Like I was in class some days now with the, the masks and um, you'd be asking a question and it was almost impossible, like, you know, so you were very limited, like, you know. So I think when COVID was over then, like, you know, and things could be, came back to normal it was great like it was a sort of um, you know you feel sort of refreshed again like you know but certainly COVID has left its mark definitely yeah um, you said that during COVID we came to a bit of a full stop yeah and we've been told that you started learning the piano given that you're only in your 50s how do you plan to spend your time in retirement well hopefully you know, to keep with that and get some lessons I hope to travel a bit as well in the next couple of years I suppose I'll still do some part-time work with the state exams that we're correcting and maybe with some exam companies, you know. But there, definitely, like, I'll enjoy the, the freedom, you know, sort of when you're teaching almost 37 years at this stage now, it's, it's great to have something different and, you know, to look forward to the next chapter, as I say, you know. Um, is there any places that you'd like to travel to specifically? I suppose I like to go to the States. I like to go to see Boston and New York and in Europe there, I suppose I like to see Rome. They'd be sort of places I'd like to see now. Um, we heard that you're looking forward to seeing some live music in the future. Is there anybody that you'd love to see in person? 
I suppose a lot of the 80 bands now, I suppose I'd, I'd have a great interest in, like, you know, I suppose there's one person now who's actually dead. He's the, um, he was the lead singer with New Order. Well, sorry, he was with Joy Division, I suppose, in Cortes, um, a fabulous character. Um, you know, if he was alive today, I'd, I'd like to start to meet him, you know. So you mentioned your love for New Order. Is there any song in particular that yeah, you feel any personal attachment to? Well, I suppose the one song that comes to mind really is um, the song Love Will Tear Us Apart, which is a very famous song. And New Order usually plays that song at the end. And I think that the actual song itself is like a poem because uh, Ian Curtis had a very troubled life. He suffered a lot from depression and he was a very inspirational singer as well, very unique singer. So I think that song would be the, the, the one standout song that I would prefer, to be honest. Uh, so we've spoken to a lot of your past pupils, teachers in the school, and they've all, they all have kind words to say about you, how gentle you were in the classroom, how brilliant you were in the classroom. But the question on everyone's mind has to be, do you wish corporal punishment was brought back? Well, that's a very good question. I'm just thinking back to my old days in school where there was corporal punishment was there. And I remember an Irish teacher in Plictor, a fabulous Irish teacher. Um, and to be honest, that's where I got my Gaelga from when I went to the Northman. And it, it's, a, it's a fabulous school, to be honest. Like I, I got a great education there. And he had in his bag two letters, Trum and Gazetrum. And, you know, he wouldn't use them very often, but some days there, no, he wouldn't be in great form. And she would say, Nisha lads, kick a count is fair, trum no atrum. And we'd always say, atrum. <laughs> so that's my uh, memory of the corporal punishment. So you've been a teacher for 37 years now. Uh, what do you think are the most important characteristics for a teacher? I suppose the number one has to be patience. Um, you have to have that really to last 37 years. You have to have an interest in teaching as well. There's not much point sticking with teaching if you don't have the interest or get a buzz out of it or an interest, you know what I mean? You have to adapt and develop as well. Like I remember at one stage there when I was teaching around oh, after maybe 20 years, you're getting bored. You're doing the same thing every day and you need something sort of to, you know, keep you going and... I suppose students as well, because they'll pick up, students pick up very quickly on the teacher. Like students, when you go into a class, students nearly know after about a minute, you know, what type of person you are to a certain degree, you know. Uh, they're very observant. So they'll pick up if you're bored or not interested or you don't care. And, you know, they, they'll, they'll go the same way. So you have to have the patience, you have to have the interest, you have to uh, develop your skills as a teacher you have to challenge yourself as a teacher as well and you know you have to well you know you're sort of you go into a class and you've all these skills that you develop and you know that they, they can't you can't teach that to a new, a new teacher um you have to sort of you know grow into the job basically and it's a very complex job you know and i've been involved there with um uh, trainee teachers there over the last couple of years I've actually enjoyed it like you know and that's the one thing I would say to them like you know for the first year like is to get your, your classroom management right you have to get that right before you sort of um, look at the sort of you know your the rest of the things that's involved you know the teaching 
and all that, get the classroom management right, and then you can work on the other stuff. You know, it, it's difficult. It's a difficult job now. I must say, it's it's um, maybe more difficult than I started. I think for younger teachers, because uh, courses have changed, and as I said before, there uh, the pace of life has changed and technology. Um, so it it is a difficult job, and I suppose. You know, there's so many th- things happening in the world as well, and you have a lot of other things as well, and you have to, you know, keep that in mind when you're in class that you're there, you're teaching a, a class, and you know, some students are which, and some could have different problems. They could have personal problems, family problems, and you have to respect that. It's not just I have to get my tags here. I'm done today. You know, this idea like you have to sort of, you know, go outside the box. Really, you have to do that. Like I think as a teacher. Uh, it's it's a great job in other ways. Like I've really enjoyed it, to be honest. Over the thirty seven years, I'm glad I did it. To be honest, you know, there's other jobs I could have gone into, but I'm, you know, it, it is rewarding. I must say, overall, would I do it again? I, I don't know. You know, uh, I've I've done my stint now. I suppose, and then happy sort of um, to to go on. As I said before, to the next chapter. Something you mentioned there, do you really think the key thing about teaching is rather than just getting information to people's heads, do you think it's people management? Yeah, you have to know your class. You have to have an interest in your class. Um, you know, if you come into a class and you're just looking at 25 students there and if you're just, if your objective is I need to get this stuff taught to them and they have to be able to reproduce um, or they have to get whatever percentage, you know, I know you have to, that's part of the job. But you I think you have to get to know the students as well, have an interest in what they're doing, sports, etc. And, you know, ask them other things, you know, apart from the obvious you understand this question, you have to say, um, you know, that was a great match yesterday. What do you think of that, lads? Or are you looking forward to the the weekend? You know, things like that. You have to you have to bring that in. Because, you know, you you know, it's 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 teaching is very personal. Like you know, it's, it's, you're interacting with people all day long. Uh, so you, I think that's very very important. It's probably the most important part of teaching that uh, connection with the students. I, I think. Uh, so we'll end on a question. Might be a little bit more lighthearted. Uh, what's your fondest memory of Prez in all your time here? That's a tough one, now, to be honest. Um, I suppose there's so many. Really, um, I suppose the. The bond again, I suppose, being the, the you know the students and staff is always great, and I always enjoyed sports days, you know, especially you now the early years, like you know, um, I have some great memories there, and I remember the first the first class that I taught, uh, they were fifth year, uh, they were a nice bunch, and I remember, um, and it was the first sports day, they there was um, a trophy for the best fifth year group, and they won mostly everything, so the. They gave me that trophy and I still have that at home, like, you know. But there, there's other memories as well, like, but that sort of stands out being the first group that I taught, I suppose, yeah. Well, it's almost time to wrap up the podcast. Uh, Mr. Scannell, is there anything you'd like us to play to play out the podcast this year and to play out your career in the school? Well, I suppose the piece that comes to mind was played the last there, last there at, the, at the graduation mass by, um, it was Midnight Sonata by Beethoven. So I think that'd be nice. Wow, what a career, Sam. We're not just finished with Mr. Scannell yet. We've got a few people to thank. First of all, all of the contributors who've come on this year 
from Prez, outside of Prez, they've really helped bring this podcast along. So a big thank you to them. Definitely. And of course, our very important producer and our overseer, Mr. Aino Lynchig. Um, we have Elaine Smith on saying too, without her, the show would not run. It wouldn't be possible. It definitely wouldn't. No. Yourself and I have both tried We've to tried, issues, but, but uh, not quite, I'd say. No. Um, and of course, Miss McKenzie facilitating us in the library for our recording. A huge thank you for all the time and patience. We'd also like to thank school management again for facilitating this podcast. It would not be possible without them. It wouldn't. And then just two last names to Mr. Jordan for all the help with everything around the school that we've needed. And then George Hook, our mentor, mentor. From, from the start of the year. Yeah, George Hook definitely had a big influence on us and he definitely taught us how to use our voices for a podcast, really. And he definitely. was a great help at Steady Deer to get the show up and running. So finally, we want to thank, of course, all the podcasters who've taken part in the module this year. I'm Keanu Manny. I'm Owen McCarthy. I'm Connor Buckley. I'm Daryl O'Brien. I'm Mick McCarthy. And I'm Peter Beck. I'm Stuart Daly. I'm John J. Neville. I'm Ian Crowley. Ich bin Eric Leach. I am the incredible history nerd, Virio Dunacher. So we're going to finish off now with Mr. Scannell playing us out. But just before we do, we'd just like to thank all of our listeners. It's been a pleasure hosting this year. Sam, it's been a pleasure hosting with Indeed. you. Well, I've been Sam. I've been Brian. Thanks for listening. And one last time. One last time. Let me get in the, get in the zone now. Bye for now.